Well, good morning. We're continuing our study of maximizing your life portion. And we're in week number five, and we're going to look at the parable of the two sons. I would invite you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 21. The parable is actually found in verses uh, 28 through 32. It's only four verses. We're going to read a few more verses preceding it so that we can understand the context of Jesus' parable. So in Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 23, Scripture says, When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source, from heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, Well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they regard John as a prophet. In answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. He said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he told them this parable. Verse 28, But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then the man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward, so as to believe him. In this parable that Jesus tells, it's a very brief one, very simple one. You have two sons, you have a father, and the whole setting is in an agricultural setting. It's a, it's a family farm kind of deal. And it's specifically a vineyard, so they're growing grapes. They're growing uh, grapes for all types of produce, mainly wine. And uh, they're going to make wine from their vineyard. And so back in that day, early in the morning, the father would rise to give his children and his servants instructions for the day. And, you know, it's, it's the same thing that you see today. A boss in any kind of situation really ought to, in most cases, be the first one to work. He has to make sure that everything's in order. Um, you know, if you want to advance at work and become the boss, you need to get there early. Be early, you know, my dad always said, be early. Don't ever be late to work. Plan on being there 15 minutes early. And that way, if something goes wrong, you know, the car breaks down, there's traffic, whatever else, um, hopefully you can still get to work on time. And if uh, something goes so wrong that you're actually late, they'll know that it's a rare exception. But the people that plan on getting there on time and they're late consistently, uh, they're going to have a lot fewer, le a lot less leeway than those that are there early. And so the father, I think in this instance, he's getting up early, he's rising, he's telling his servants, he's telling his children, these two sons of his, specifically what they need to do. And so uh, he knows that being in an agricultural setting, this vineyard owner knows that the sun waits for no one. The sun's going to rise, the sun's going to set, 
and uh, you better beat the sun out there if you're going to be ready. And so he's got to have everything ready before the sun rises. Now, the one thing that this family probably owns is the vineyard. It's the one asset that they have. It's the most important thing that they have. It's their means of making money. And so this is the family business. A cotton farmer has his field. The butcher has his meat market. And these people, this owner, this father, has his vineyard. And the, the vineyard benefited all of them. We need to keep this in mind. That the two sons who had very different reactions to the father and ultimately obeyed and disobeyed, they had benefits coming to them from the vineyard that they were supposed to work. And so it was to their advantage to work in it. You know, in a family-owned business, everyone has to pull their own weight. Sometimes you see families uh, today working in a restaurant together. And, uh, you know, as soon as the uh, young boy or whatever gets to the right age, he's washing the dishes or maybe he's waiting on tables or maybe he's cleaning up the tables. But he, he puts in his fair share of work as well. You know, as soon as Junior is able to help out, he does. And so that's the expectation here that the family pitches in, the family works together, and everyone has a role to play. This story likely took place in the summer. The reason is that um, wine harvest, I'm not as much of an expert in wine as uh, uh, you might expect, uh, being a Baptist minister, but wine harvest, I'm told, happens in the fall, probably in October. And, uh, and so summer was the time when the vineyard would need the most work. And that means it's going to be hot. The summertime and the the heat in the summertime of Israel is sort of like Texas. Uh, it can be pretty unforgiving. Uh, but if you don't get out there and sweat in the sun, there's not going to be any wine for the harvest in the fall. The fall harvest would ha take place right around the same time as the Feast of uh, Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. The, uh, the Israelites, the Jews, call it Sukkoth. And so it happened at a very uh, momentous time and the wine needed to be ready for that uh, great event. And so then we have the instruction. The instruction was pretty straightforward. He told both of his sons these words. Son, go work today in the vineyard. Now I want to look at this just a little bit closer uh, than the simplicity of that kind of instruction. First, I want you to notice that the father is relying on his children to do something for him. There's something he wants the children to do. And the father wants, him, wants them to do it. It benefits them, but the father is asking them to do that because they are his sons. That's the basis of the relationship, uh, the basis of the request. It is their relationship, father to son. He says, son, the vineyard itself is completely owned by the father. He's the one who owns it. The sons don't own it yet. His wife doesn't own it. No one else owns it. The servants certainly don't own it. The father alone, he's the deed holder. He's the one who owns it. But the sons share in the benefit if the vineyard is successful. The father doesn't ask the sons uh, to work in another man's vineyard. He wants them to work in, the, in his own vineyard. The sons are making an investment in themselves by obeying the father let me say that again the children are making an investment in themselves when they obey the father 
The father didn't give them any precise instructions. He didn't say, I want you to go kill the bugs. He didn't say, I want you to go uh, prune the dead leaves. He simply said, go work. Go work in the vineyard today. You know, people who are trained in agriculture, they don't need precise instructions. You don't need to tell a, a farmhand who works in cotton for many years precisely what to do. He knows what to do. These young men knew the family business, and they knew what needed to be done. They knew what to do in every situation. You shoo away or you, tri or you trap the animals, you water the plants, you prune the dead branches. All of these things need to be done. And so the instructions are not precise. And then he got a couple of different responses. The first son answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went, verse 29 says. The man came to the second and said the same thing, and he said, I will, sir. But he did not go. So I have two different sons, and I want to look at the second son first, the one who said yes, but then did not obey. He said that he would obey. Why? Why did the second son say, yes, father? Well, I think it was probably out of habit, probably being respectful to his father, probably being polite to his father I mean you just certainly especially in that day you don't tell your father no and so out of habit he said yes father he knew that's what his father wanted to hear and so he told his father what he wanted to hear and out of politeness out of respect for his position as the authority as the authority he said yes but then the second son well, I should say the first son. He had a very different response. He told his father, no. Why? I think we can presume that he wanted to, maybe he wanted to assert his independence. Maybe he didn't like essentially being an unpaid servant. I've got to do the same thing that these hired hands have to do today. No, I'm not going to do it. And so he said, no. Whatever the reason, I think the, the moment he blurted out the word no, I think he had forgotten a very important truth that his obedience to his father would benefit him. And so not only does it help provide for his current needs, but keep this in mind too. When the father leaves the inheritance who's going to get it the sons will get it and so by working in the vineyard what are you doing you're providing for your own inheritance not only do you get the reward now this season by being able to put bread on the table and and have a decent life but there's a future reward coming as well and by refusing to work in the father's vineyard by saying no I think this guy clearly forgot that he's benefiting himself in the here and later. And so you've got these two sons, one that said yes, but then ultimately followed his own inclinations. And the issue with the, that first son, 
who said yes the problem was the, the problem was not that he didn't show respect to his father he did he showed respect to his father he told his father what his father wanted to hear he was very polite very respectful the problem was his heart he didn't have a heart to obey he just said what he thought his father wanted to hear the second son was a little bit rebellious at first a little bit too independent said no but we know that he changed his mind as well and ultimately he did work out in the vineyard so here's the conclusion Jesus says in verses 31 and 32 he asked the the elders the Pharisees the scribes whoever it was that was listening to him that he had this previous conversation with regarding John the Baptist he asked them this question which which of the two did the will of his father they said the first Jesus said to them truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him but the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him and you seeing this did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him so keep in mind Jesus is speaking to the religious rulers they had criticized him they accused him essentially of leading the people astray but in this parable Jesus showed them that they are like the one, they are like the son, who says with their mouth, yes, but ultimately doesn't do what God says. On the other hand, there are other people, non-elite people, tax collectors who are basically cheats and frauds, prostitutes, Thieves. Those people had spent their entire lives to that point telling God, no, no, I'm not going to obey you. I'm not going to follow your covenant. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm in it for me. But when they heard the message from John, John the Baptist, that they should repent and turn to God, Essentially, that God would still accept them, that God still loved them. That's when they, like the son who changed his heart, they changed their hearts as well. Their no became a yes. We've got to remember that God is the God of all people. He's the God of the religious. He's the God of those that are non-religious. He's not only the God of Baptists sitting in the church building, who seemingly have their life together, but God is the God of the people who are on drugs, the people that are um, messed up, the people that make bad choices, the people that really engage in self-destructive behavior. He is their God too. And God has an appeal to all of us. It's the appeal of John the Baptist to repent and place your faith in the Savior. And it doesn't matter whether you're religious, doesn't matter whether you're non-religious, doesn't matter whether you're a moral person or an immoral person. In the end, if you don't heed the message of John the Baptist, if in the end your actions tell God no, 
It doesn't matter how good or bad this you are. It doesn't matter how good or bad your life is. In the end, you have to heed the words of John the Baptist and place your faith in the Savior. Because in the end, it doesn't matter what you say, it matters what you do. There are some lessons that I think we can learn from this parable. Number one is this. God the Father asks us to do something for him. Just like the Father asks his son to do something, God the Father asks us to do something. God wants us to work in the vineyard in order to produce a harvest. We know what that means. We know what the harvest is. We know that God wants us to call other people to Christ. He wants us to make disciples. He wants us to tell others about the Lord Jesus. Because God is, what's one of his names that Jesus said? God is the Lord of the harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest, but it will not happen unless we are willing to serve as laborers in the harvest. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So God still has a harvest. He's still the vineyard owner. He wants us to produce by laboring in his vineyard. And so we have to be part of the harvest. Secondly, the reason the Father asks us to work in the vineyard is to produce a, har- to produce a harvest is because we are his children. Why did the Father in the parable come to those two young men? Because he said to them, sons, sons, today I want you to work in the vineyard. God does not ask strangers to make disciples. He asks his children, that's you and me, to make disciples. And when we tell people about Jesus and when we make disciples, we share in the benefits. When you tell someone about Christ, doesn't that make your joy increased? Doesn't it make help your church to grow? Doesn't it make your love multiplied when you see that God is moving and active in your own life? When we, a third lesson is this, when we work in God's vineyard by making disciples, we don't need precise instructions. We know what to do. Just like those young men, they were simply said, go work. Go work in the vineyard. We know what to do. We've already been taught We've been at this for a while. We know that we should pray for those that are far away from God and we should love them. We know that we should share the word of God with those that are seeking for life's answers. And we should plant that seed in their life. We know that we should tell people about Jesus when they are ready to hear the gospel, when they're ready to be saved. A fourth lesson is this. We should be careful not to agree with God simply out of habit. Now that's unusual for someone to say in a church. Be careful not to agree with God simply out of habit. Before you agree with God, you need to make sure your heart is in agreement with Him. Or else you'll simply turn out like the son who said, Yes, God. Sure, yes. But if your heart's not in it, you won't follow through. God is not impressed when we tell him what we think he wants to hear. 
We know all the answers, all the Sunday school answers. What's the answer to the question? Jesus is the answer to the question, right? No matter what the question is, Jesus is the answer. We know all the right answers, but God is not impressed with our knowledge. He's not impressed with what we say. He's impressed with what we do. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel said to King Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. King Saul had the outer actions of being religious, but he had a rebellious heart. He said the right words, but his words were really empty. And so what did God do? God removed him from being the king of Israel. If your heart says no to God, then don't say yes with your mouth. It would be better for you to be honest with God and for you to say to God, I don't feel like obeying you right now. That's a dangerous thing to say to God. But you know what? God can do a lot more with that than with someone who comes to him and, as a hypocrite. If you come to God and you're honest and you say, God, I'm just having a bad day, having a bad week. I don't want to be nice to anybody. I don't want to act like a Christian. I don't want to do what the preacher said to do. I don't want to do what uh, I know I need to do. I don't want to do the right thing, God. If you're honest with God, God can work with that. He can straighten that out. If your heart says no to God, be honest with them. Don't tell them with your mouth, yes. Instead, here's what you do. If you find yourself in that kind of spiritual funk and you don't know how you can really start loving God again like you should and you really want to, you know you, you, know you need to get right. You're just not in the mood. What do you do? Here's what you do. You need to open up your Bible. You need to start reading your Bible. And you need to ask God to change your heart. God can do it. Ask him to change your heart. Just be honest with him. God, I don't want to obey you right now. So change my heart. Turn away from your sins. You know, when Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, he had a vision of God. Remember that vision? He's in the throne room of God, and he sees the veil of the temple, and the, the foundations are shaking by the voice of the angels that are crying out, holy, holy, holy. Just a tremendous vision from God. I mean, if there's any, ever a time that you might be tempted to tell God what he wants to hear is when you think your life is in danger, right? Isaiah didn't do that. Isaiah was honest with God. He said, I have a dirty mouth. And I live among people who have dirty mouths. That is when God changed him. Cleansed his mouth. So be careful 
not to agree with God simply out of habit. Your heart needs to be in agreement with Him as well. And if you have grown tired of serving God, like that one son seems to have grown, serving his own father, who initially told his dad no. If you have grown tired of serving God, you need to find out why. You need to find out why. Serving God should bring you joy. It shouldn't be a burden. And if it's become a burden, you need to find out why. Ask yourself why. Is it because you don't see what you get out of it? Is it because you don't, maybe you feel like an unpaid servant? Like you're just doing some type of blind obedience and there's just not much in it for you. But I want you to remember something. When you serve God, there are benefits for you now. And there are benefits for you later. You're building up your future inheritance. And when we think about, we look at our lives, and I know that everyone in this room has dealt with the, the issue of having to say goodbye to family and friends who may even seem like they've gone before their time. Sometimes we even bury those that are very old and have lived a long life. And we say, I wish I had more time with them. I think we need to be reminded that our time here on life is short. We've got a brief amount of time, even if we've lived a good long life. We've, the time that we have is short. But the inheritance that we build up for ourselves by serving God here in this life, it's forever. It never goes away. So let me encourage you. If you've grown tired of serving God, be honest with Him. And ask yourself why. Get back to looking at reading God's Word, listening to God's Word. Ask God to change your heart. I think that He will. And I think that you'll rediscover the joy of serving Him. We're not guaranteed in this life to receive everything that we want when we serve God. But God does guarantee. He made a promise that he will reward you in his kingdom.